Hallelujah. We give God thanks tonight one more time. Tonight, we're going back to the book of Exodus. We want to, with the help of the Lord, be able to set some time for prayer at the end as we look into the word of the Lord. From Exodus chapter 17, back to Exodus 17. We can, we can read from the New Living um, Translation. Exodus chapter 17. We're going to pick it up from verse 7. Just for us to have a background to the setting of this narrative. In verse 1, it tells us that the people of Israel, God's redeemed people, had left Egypt, and now they are journeying from place to place on route to the promised land. The Bible tells us that they move from the willingness of sin and eventually they camped at Rephidim and there was no water for this two to three million people. And they began to complain against Moses. And they began to murmur. And Moses cried out to the Lord. And the Lord instructed Moses to go before the camp with the with his rod that he had used. When the Red Sea was parted. And the Lord said to Moses. Take also some of the elders. Elders of the tribes of Israel. And stand before. The rock. He said I will stand before you on the rock at Mount Sinai. When you get there strike it. And water will come gushing out from the rock and Moses eventually did that and the water gushed out just as God had said and the elders looked on verse 7 tells us that Moses named the place Massa which means Tess and Meribah which means arguing and now it must be noted that the word Rephidim, the place that they were, means refreshment. And when they arrived there, what they experienced was thirst. And this is the same place that Moses now 
For the children of Israel, Rephidim became a place of unbelief. A place of battle. Moses named it Massa and Meribah. Because the children of God, the children of Israel, argued with Moses and tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord here with us or not? What a statement. Is the Lord here with us or not? Now, when we look on the journey of the Israelites, we recognize that God journeyed with them. The cloud, the pillar of cloud by day, fire by night, was always leading the camp of Israel. But now, at Rephidim, we see the spirit of unbelief creeping in, which leads to murmuring and complaining. And they begin to murmur against God's servant, which means Eventually, they are murmuring against God. God told Moses, you stay on the, you just meet me out on the rock at Mount Horeb. I'm going to be there. I want you to strike that rock and I'm going to give them water to quench their thirst. And the people got what they needed but we must recognize Moses changed the name of that place because of what the people had done and what they said is the Lord here with us or not and very often in our Christian walk the challenges, the trials, the testing, because we have to agree that it is the Lord that led them to Rephidim. And it is the Lord that tested them. And now, Israel has been proven that what is in their heart is a spirit of unbelief. They ask the question, is the Lord here with us or not? And as Moses gives us this account in Exodus, immediately after that question, Moses now records the battle of Israel against the Amalekites 
Abba said, while the people of Israel were still at Rephidim, the place where God showed up, the place where they murmured and complained and tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord here or not? That same place, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. Earlier, in the book of Exodus, when they came out of Egypt, the Lord did not lead them a particular way. And Moses gave us the account. And the reason for this is because the Lord did not want them to end up in battle. And ending up in battle, the people might retreat and go back. So the Lord led them another way. Now, we see Israel ending up in battle. This too is the hand of the Lord. Bible says that while the people of Israel were still at Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek attacked them. Who were the Amalekites? If we go back to Genesis chapter 36, and let's go there quickly. And let's look at verse 1. Just before, let's look at verse 6. Esau took his wives, his children, and his entire household, along with his livestock and cattle, all the wealth he had acquired in the land of Canaan. And moved away from his brother Jacob. There was not enough land to support them both. Because of all the livestock and possessions they had acquired. So Esau also known as Edom. Settled in the country of Seir. Now. In verse 12. You get to see the. Descendants of Esau, the descendants, let's pick it up from verse 9. This is the account of Esau's descendants, the Edomites, who lived in the hill country of Seir. These are the names of Esau's sons, Eliphaz. We want to pay attention to that one. The son of Esau's wife, Ada, and Ruel, the son of Esau's wife, Basmath. Our base man. The descendants of Eliphaz were Teman, Omar, Zepho, Gatam, and Kenaz. Timna, the concubine of Esau's son Eliphaz, gave birth to a son named Amalek. So here we have 
information regarding to how the Amalekites came about. We know that the promise is with Jacob and Esau is a type of the flesh. He's an opposer to the promise. And so Amalek is the grandson of Esau. So is Esau, his son, Eliphaz, and now Eliphaz's son, Amalek. Let's get back to the text. What happened to Israel at Rephidim? The warriors of Amalek attacked them. How did they attack them? We can get further into the into the text at let's look at Deuteronomy twenty-five. Let's look at Deuteronomy twenty-five. And while you're finding it, the meaning of the word Amalek it means a people that take away all. A people that take away all. In other words, the destroyer. It's the opposer. And also represents a type of the flesh. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 25 and verse 17, we will begin to see how cruel the Amalekites were. Two to three million people were coming out of Egypt. These are civilians, not soldiers, not an army. And Moses, in the book of Deuteronomy 25, 17, never forget what the Amalekites did to you as you came from Egypt. They attacked you when you were exhausted civilians and weary and they struck down those who were struggling behind they had no fear of God these people heard or knew that eat Israel was delivered out of Egypt. Esau is no stranger to the promise that Abraham received, that Isaac received, and his brother Jacob received. And now we have the grandson of Esau an opposer to the promised people. These men were vicious. They had no fear for the Lord. 
They attacked Israel, the civilians, people who are coming out of slavery. They look for the weak ones, the tired ones, and they begin to attack them. Can you imagine? Immediately, Moses recognized that the camp of Israel was in a battle that they did not plan for. Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. See, the purpose of Amalek is to destroy the promise. They wanted to totally take out the nation of Israel. And specifically in the tribe of Judah. That's where the Messiah is coming from. That's where our Lord Jesus Christ, the Redeemer, the Savior of the whole world is coming from. But Amalek decided that Israel should be no more. Moses commanded Joshua, choose some men to go out and fight the army of Amalek for us. Now Moses had to quickly put together men that were able to go out and battle against an army. But watch what Moses did, what he said. Tomorrow, I will stand at the top of the hill, holding the staff of God in my hand. This was Moses' staff that was now surrendered and became the staff of God. A staff represents one's authority. And what essentially, what the scripture is telling us now is that Moses no longer was depending on his own strength. He had handed over his will, his authority to the Lord. And now he said, I'm going to stand atop the hill holding the staff of God in my hand. It's a battle. It's the destroyer, the opposer. Everything that represents evil. That's the Amalekite. And Israel is taken by surprise. Weak ones are perishing. Those who are limping, exhausted, these men are viciously devouring them. 
No fear for the Lord. Couldn't concern them. That God. These are the people of God. So Joshua did what Moses had commanded. And fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and her climbed to the top of a nearby hill. Moses told Joshua, I'm going to the hill. And I will hold the staff of God in my hand. This is Moses' strategy. In a time of war. Moses' strategy. In fighting the enemy. The destroyer. Moses. Had asked Joshua to select men. But he's not depending. On the strength of the men. To gain victory. There's going to be a fight, but there's got to be something else taking place. That victory can be gained. And so is it also in our Christian life. When we look at the battles we fight from day to day, just let's look at If it's Galatians 5 and verse 17, let's pick it up quickly. If you put that one on the screen for me, please, Sister Mary. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Israel is selected and there's a covenant that God has with Abraham. That he also reminded Isaac of and Jacob. And now there is an opposition. One who wants to cancel God's will. So too in our life. We're redeemed from this realm of darkness. But there's a constant battle. Where the flesh wants to overcome the spirit. And the spirit wants to, or is in a battle, 
to blot out the very memory of these desires that the flesh represents. And so there's a, a constant war. The good intentions that the spirit wants to fulfill are constantly under attack by the flesh. You remember, Esau is a type of the flesh, and so likewise Amalek. There is a spiritual heritage in Israel. And the people of Amalek, let me go back to Deuteronomy, I believe, 25 and 17. Verse 18. See. They attacked you when you were exhausted and weary. And they struck down those who were struggling behind. They had no fear of God. And when someone has no fear of God. It tells you everything about the person's heart. Amalekites were not afraid to shed blood. Now, Moses ascends to the hill. Goes on the hill. And his intention. Is to lift. The staff of God. While he travails. And perseveres in prayer. Let's remember. The intention of the Amalekites. Is to totally. Destroy. The Israelites. Let's look at Psalms 83, Psalm 83, 4. Come, they say, let us wipe out Israel as a nation. We will destroy the very memory of its existence. Verse 7. Gebelites, Ammonites, and Amalekites, and the people from Philistia and Tyre. That's the, that's the spirit that drives these people. Never wants what the kingdom of God wants to take effect in this world. It is that kind of a spirit that comes to quench the fire of the spirit that's leading us as believers. It wants us to relax and be comfortable until we are taken out. 
But believers, we have to recognize we're in a battle. And Moses is going to show us, by example, the strategy to be victorious in this kind of a battle. Now, let's look. Moses ascends the hill. He's on top of the hill. And he is going to lift the staff of God in his hand. The Bible says, so Joshua did what Moses had commanded and fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and her climbed to the top of a nearby hill. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. What is the the holding up of the staff? Moses is in a position of prayer. And when those who are in the midst of battle, when they could look to the hill and see Moses praying and seeking God, then they would be strengthened. But watch. Moses' arms soon became so tired, he could no longer hold them up. Now let's back up to verse 11. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. It's prevailing prayer. As long as Moses was praying and interceding, seeking the face of God, and the people were hopeful, they gained the advantage in battle. Whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites, the position, what was happening in the war, flipped. The Amalekites started to gain the advantage. So too, in the believer's life, when we prevail in prayer, we are victorious. We are, we become very sensitive to the things of the spirit. We gain an advantage as it relates to how we battle, how we strategize against the enemy. As long as Moses lifted up the staff, God's staff, no longer Moses' staff, God's staff, representing the banner of the Lord. Israel was successful. They gained the advantage in prayer. That's why Paul tells us in Ephesians 6 and 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints, the importance of persevering in prayer. When Moses' hand dropped, the Amalekites gained the advantage. 
Moses' arms soon became so tired, he could no longer hold them up. So, and this is so beautiful. He's in battle. And his arms are stretched up. Israel is gaining the advantage. But when his hands became weak, he starts to drop. But Aaron and her that went to the mountain with him found a stone for him to sit on. The power of one having a, a single mind. Moses is the leader. The people are in battle. He's travailing, interceding on behalf of the people who have just said earlier, if we remember, is the Lord here with us or not? Now God has created this setting in the form of a battle to answer the question of the people of Israel. Her and Aaron found a stone, the power of one. These men were in agreement with Moses in the midst of a battle. The strength of the army of the Lord has everything to do with how united we are. Aaron is not there or her is not there to try and give Moses a new strategy. Moses had a strategy before he left the plains to enter the hill. And they went along with him. So when the strategy seemingly, it seems as if it's not going the way it's supposed to be. What they did was to enable Moses' strategy to continue by lifting, supporting his hands. Because it's already clear, as soon as his hands are extended in prayer, because sometimes, friends, prayer takes a lot out of an individual. But the support of the saints, the support of those who are around you in the midst of your battle in prayer, they will allow the army of the Lord. Let's watch it. The big picture is never about the individual. It is about God's army, God's people. It's Israel. It's not about Moses. It's not about Joshua. It's not about her. It's not about Aaron. It's about the people of the name 
And so too, everything about the church is never about an individual. It's about God's people who bears the name of the Lord. They stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands. So his hands held steady until sunset. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blow some folks' mind right now. I was in a, a tent meeting back in Jamaica. I think we were in um, Montego Bay by um, whatever you call it, Walter Fletcher's Beach or something like that. I don't remember right now, but in that area, a massive tent meeting. Thousands of people. And one night, I recall, I think I was playing the instrument and my pastor, Bishop I. W. Evans, he was preaching and I have to pour it out his soul in preaching. When it time for the altar call, there was a move of the anointing of God. Folks were feeling left, right, and center. Folks were being healed. Folks were being delivered as he was travailing in that altar call. And I recall when his strength was failing him. I'm telling you, friends, I saw it with my own eyes. His strength was failing him. His hands were like this. And he was telling folks, receive, receive. But Jesus received the Holy Ghost and ministering to people. And his hands were like this, holding up in a fist. I believe one hand had microphone. And when he was saying that, the anointing was moving across the, the tent. People were dropping left, right, and center. Uh, just something to, you'd have to experience it, brothers and sisters. And while his hands begin to drop because he was weak. I know some people are saying, oh, really, pastor? Yes, really. And the tent begin to die down. And I watch, I don't remember who the second person is, but I remember one of them was a pastor named Pastor Barrett. He's from Montego Bay too. His daughter is at Mount Zion. He rushed over and lift one of Bishop's hand. And the next person lift the other hand and push them up in the ear. And they supported his body. And I saw the wave of the anointing begin to move again across the camp. And they held up his hands until the whole tent was under such a, a, a supernatural move of God. I saw it with my own eyes. And then I remembered when I saw them, did I remembered this specific story. Her and Aaron supported Moses. Why? Because this has everything to do with the survival of the nation of Israel. If Amalek had the chance, they would take the entire Israelite out. And so too, especially those of us who are 
struggling behind. The enemy is out to take you out. We're battling an enemy that has no fear of God. You see, the enemy knows what's on your life. The enemy knows the people of the name. And his intention is to sabotage the plan of God. Hallelujah. Why do you think? And if we, if we search out, we recognize even the people of Amalek, they are sorcerers. That was one of their main practice. And they are against the divine one, the eternal one. Hatred. No fear. That's why we can't play around with the enemy. Her and Aaron did this, and the Bible said that the hands held steadily until sunset. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in the battle. As a result of the support of Moses' prayer and the support of these two men, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. After the victory, the Lord instructed Moses, write this down on a scroll as a permanent reminder and read it aloud to Joshua. I will erase the memory of Amalek from under the heaven. That's what the Lord said. I'm going to erase the memory of Amalek from under the heaven. I'm just going to read something quickly from 2 Samuel 1. After the death of Saul, David returned from his victory over the Amalekites and spent two days in Ziklag. On the third day, a man arrived from Saul's army camp. He had torn his clothes and put dirt on his head to show he was in mourning. He fell to the ground before David in deep respect. Where have you come from? David asked. I escaped from the Israelite camp, the man replied. What happened? David demanded. Tell me how the battle went. The man replied, our entire army fled from the battle. Many of the men are dead and Saul and his son, Jonathan, are also dead. How do you know Saul and Jonathan are dead? David demanded of the young man. The man answered, I happened to be on Mount Gilboa. And there was Saul leaning on his spear with the enemy chariots and charioteers closing on him. He's under attack. When he turned and saw me, he cried out for me to come to him. How can I help? I asked him. He responded, who are you? I am an Amalekite. 
I told him. Then he begged me, come over here and put me out of my misery, for I am in terrible pain and want to die. So I killed him, the Amalekite told David, for I knew he couldn't live. Then I took his crown and his armband and I have brought them here to you, my Lord. David and his men tore their clothes in sorrow when they heard the news. They mourned and wept and fasted all day for Saul and his son, Jonathan, and for the Lord's army and the nation of Israel because they had died by the sword that day. Then David said to the young man who had brought the news, where are you from? And he replied, I am a foreigner, an Amalekite who lives in your land. Why were you not afraid to kill the Lord's anointed one? David asked. Why? How comes you weren't afraid to kill the Lord's anointed? Because we do not fear the Lord. That's a spirit that travels in the Amalekites and in the opposers of the kingdom of God. We weren't afraid. When I saw, I, I told you, I saw that he couldn't live. So I took him out. Then David said to one of these men, kill him. So the man thrust his sword into the Amalekite and killed him. Sounds harsh. But if we don't settle the account with the Amalekite, that spirit that wants to quench the fire of the eternal spirit that, that, that dwells in us. If we don't take it out, it's going to take us out. It's not afraid to kill us. And that's why the spirit must battle and overcome the flesh. We must overcome. If we give room to the spirit of the Amalekite, a little room is all it, all that it needs to take us out. The question is, what's in your life or in our life that represents the Amalekite of our time. What is it that we're battling against that's trying to quench the fire of the Spirit in us to prevent us from bringing out or carrying out God's intended purpose in our lives. If we don't kill it, it is going to kill us. Hello, someone. 
Let's unmute our microphone. Moses, um, David said, you have condemned yourself. For you yourself confess that you killed the Lord's anointed one. How do we handle it? David said, kill it. Kill him. We're going to be praying. Hallelujah. Let's unmute the microphones. Jesus. Mercy, God. Mercy. Mercy, mercy, mercy. Hallelujah. If prayer doesn't become our central focus, then Amalekites will have the upper hand. But if we prevail in prayer, then there's going to be a resounding victory for the people of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Mm. Lord, teach me how to pray. 